Hello, beautiful people. Quick question. Have you ever thought to yourself, I've been passed up for a promotion, but I don't understand why? Or I want to change in my career, but where do I even begin? We know we're not the only ones that have had these questions. And that's why we started this podcast. It's called Career Gems for the Journey. And we hope that as you listen, you'll discover some gems for your career journey. I'm Leah Murphy, and I wear many hats. I'll tell you about three of them. I'm an engineer by trade, a career coach, and an entrepreneur, all while working to stay happily married and raise three children. And my name is Alma Gordon. I'm a brand marketer, entrepreneur, and serial passion pursuer with a business approach to my endeavors, but always with a creative spin. And we're two really great friends that have supported one another throughout our professional careers. I mean, we've been through it all, and we're here to share some authentic stories, key successes, and setbacks. You're not going to want to miss this. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to another segment, another part of our Secrets to Career Success series. I am Leah Murphy. I am the president of Career Gems for the Journey, and, um, and I'm back with my co-host, Meshach Cleary, and we also have a special guest. Meshach, check in with the people. How are you doing? I am doing well. I'm doing well. Better better than satisfactory, as I say sometimes. Um, <laughs> close to spectacular. <laughs> close to, exactly. Close to spectacular. Definitely above average um, or satisfactory, as they say. Incredible momentum. Yeah, I remember before part one started when Lee and I were brainstorming this, um, it has exceeded our expectations in terms of the types of conversations we'll have, we were having. Um, last week, uh, you were hopefully fortunate to have a, a great conversation with Lee and, and myself, specifically around calculated risk-taking. Um, but we are continuing down this journey, um, pun intended, gems for the journey, plug. Uh, we're continuing down this journey specifically with a amazing guest um, that Leah is going to introduce. But before we do that, my name is Mishat Cleary. I lead a global operation in industrial manufacturing. I spent the last 20 years in industrial manufacturing, uh, mostly in factories and around factories. And I also uh, am a coach around leadership development. We're going to have some real talk. Thank you for your intro, Mishak. It always sounds, I always feel so inspired by your introduction. <laughs> to be, say it again, say it again, say it again. <laughs> to be partnering with such an illustrative executive. And we're being serious, right? We're just having a good time. But this conversation, uh, last week, we were just on such a high from the dialogue as well as um, the engagement that we got. Now I'm going to introduce the talented, talented Jillian, Jillian Jones. So Jillian Jones is a talent acquisition professional and expert um, with years and years of talent acquisition experience as a recruiter and on all sides of the talent acquisition um, format. So wanted to bring her on the episode because there's a whole lot that goes into the, you know, the bucket of who is HR and what do they do and who's responsible for what and why should I care? So bringing Jill on this episode was our opportunity to drop some real gems and have some real talk about what happens on the career um, talent acquisition side. And we wanted to make sure we brought in an expert. Mishak and I have our own experiences, but we definitely want to make sure that you guys get some, um, some intel. So Jillian, welcome. Thank you for such a lovely introduction and um, the bow down of it all. Love that, Mishak. Appreciate it. Um, very much so looking forward to real conversations. I consider myself to be a pretty candid person, and um, I do like to tell the truth about uh, some of the, the myths that people have around recruiting. 
so Jillian, let's get right to it, right? Because you said to debunk some myths, and I think that that's probably the most valuable thing that we could do kind of off the top. Let's start talking about first the money. And I'm not talking about money as far as compensation, but how do companies think about talent acquisition and think about it as an investment? Where is that money getting invested and why is it important? Yeah, I think that everyone talks about like follow the money um, and look at where companies are, you know, putting their priorities and in particular where they're investing um, time and uh, resources. So I think that one of the big things to consider when you're looking at a new opportunity is looking at that, that company's annual statement, understanding what their big picture priorities are as a candidate. Um, that even gives you good questions to tee up when you're meeting with leaders um, and, and really trying to talk about, especially if you're a leadership candidate, if you are a leadership candidate, you should have a good understanding of what the high priorities are and the big priorities priorities for any company are going to be inside of their annual statement if they're publicly traded um, or any other uh, speaking tours that the, the chief officer might've done. Um, they usually talk about where they're putting their big investments. Um, when it comes to talent, understanding that people are a big part of the bottom line. I think most companies have wrapped their minds around that by now. Um, they're investing more in the package um, and the person and not just like a salary. Um, I wish more, um, I, I'll say this for minority candidates in particular, I do want us to understand and, and pay attention to full packages um, and do the big picture math um, when you're, you're looking at it or weighing an opportunity. It's not all about salary. I love okay. that, that idea. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You go, no, you I'm go. so excited because I love, I love that she came with the fire from the beginning, from the heat. Like, listen, I'm trying to tell y'all, pay attention to this total compensation. Stop. Don't get narrowly focused. Why is that? Why are we so stuck there often? And I think it's because we didn't realize holistically that there is money to be made in different intersections of the total compensation. Mm -hmm. So we got really narrow on salary um, because it was the number that seems like you know, comes with certain amount of status, right? And perspective, but there's lots of other dig sites for, for resources. And I love that you really encourage folks to think about it uh, critically, but so yeah, sorry, Mishak, I couldn't hold myself. No, you, you, you're spot on. And, and, you know, Leah, another shameless plug, you actually help a lot of folks and you have helped a lot of folks negotiate um, specifically in terms of their compensation package. I won't even just say salary, but their full compensation package, but I mean, you've got a goal. So before I ask the question, you're, you're yeah, a I want to help. I really like I am. I am literally working every day to help 10,000 women learn how to negotiate for better compensation, right? For more money and money is lives in different parts of compensation. Money lives in benefits. Money lives in work life flexibility. Money work lives in home office investments. Money lives in graduate school um, tuition reimbursement. Money lives in all of these places. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think what Jillian has, you know, softball for us here is how are we thinking about compensation? And if we think about it in just the realm of salary, we're missing out on a broader opportunity. So I appreciate the softball, Mishak. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a, I think that's a, that's a great point. And and so my part of it is like we've got Jill, this this amazing expert on, but you know you, you're also you know have developed a, a big expertise in this, and 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 you're focused on it on a on a group of folks that that I think really could benefit from that to help bridge the the known gaps. Um, within the space. But Joe, one of the things, and, and, and Lee as well, as you guys think about other things outside of salary, like what are, what are some of the things that you would maybe highlight to say like, hey, at least understand what this is, consider what the, you know, what potential ranges might be, 
you know, how might you, how might they think about those things beyond just salary? What, what are some of the things that you would tell them to consider? So I think Leah started to hit on some of it. Like money lives in, in flexibility. It could uh, live in, in particular with publicly traded companies, choosing how you want to structure your package. You might have the option of getting more money in RSUs or um, other forms of equity. Even if you have the option of looking at the different types of equity, like there are different forms in which people can pay out equity. So I would, I would get granular if you have that option, not everybody's going to give you that option, right? Like they just might, they might have it set up where this is what we do, but there are companies where you might be able to say, they might say, here's your package. Um, would you like this in salary or would you like some portion of it in some form of equity? How would you like to split that up? And thinking about your personal goals and what risk you may be willing to take at whatever given period where this is a weird period of time for some of that risk taking. So I'll, I'll be careful with what I say there. But if you're in a state where um, you're able to maybe take more in equity because you, you can take that risk um, or it makes sense for your life, given if you have a spouse or someone else that maybe is taking more in base, mm -hmm. um, I think getting creative with how you structure your package is important. And then also money lives and benefits heavily in, in, with a lot of tech companies in particular. There's a lot of things that are built into these benefits package. For example, the 401k options, but then also some of the, like I know in, in my situation, there are opportunities for you to get a stipend for adoption or a stipend for family planning and, and things that might be important to you as a candidate or to your family you know, right now. And so looking at the value of what that could add and the ease that that could give you as, um, you know, as you're trying to plan is something to really consider. Uh, I would also say we all look at vacation time and all of that, but one of the new things that I'm starting to look at now that we're getting more global is how much time can I work internationally? Like how many days are we allotting for um, flexibility in where we work? Because companies are honing in on you can't like get a New York salary and live in Tampa or, you know, or live in some part of the South where it's, it's a lot cheaper. They are, they are starting to adjust comp. Right. But then if that's the case, could I also spend X number of time working in Mexico? For example, personally, I love Mexico. So being flexible or thinking about what flexibility might exist with where you have to work is a new thing now that companies have to adjust for this global workforce, remote work everywhere, and all of that good stuff. One of the things that I was going to ask you is, you know, as we sort of flip it, so we jumped right into negotiating salary, right? I'm going to pull us back a little bit, but that's like super important. So I'm glad we started there, but I want to pull us back and, and actually flip it. So as you think about talent acquisition, can you talk a little bit about how that's been evolving over time in terms of how a company looks at a professional that, you know, that, that they're looking to fill a space within, right? So what are some things that, that you think about or that you think are, are, are broadly accepted in terms of, hey, these are things that, that are like basics, like maybe think about early career, which since we've got some folks in early career and then think about maybe switching from a company to, to the company you're coming to. What are things that, you know, stand out? What are things that might be filled, so like red flags for you? And how has that changed over time? Big question, but but feel free to take yeah, it. Yeah, so I can go a lot of different ways. So I'll let's let's start with like the evolution of someone's career because I would say at the beginning, soft skills matter more than hard skills because you have very few hard skills, right? So when you're coming out of college, or even if you did not go to college and you're coming out of any type of program, a lot of times being eager 
being able to speak to examples of taking initiative just in your personal life or in things you do in the community, you can leverage examples from, from all sorts of spaces when you are, you know, just in those early stages of your career. So I would highly encourage people to dig deep, right? If you were the leadership um, or held a leadership role in student government or in your community or in your church, and because of that leadership role, you've had to learn how to um, you know, communicate and get programming off the ground. All of that is very, very relevant when you're in the early stages and it continues to be relevant, but it's easier to get people to really buy into you as a candidate early on based on these soft skills and being able to provide concrete examples of how you leverage those soft skills. Then as you get into mid-career, the question is, what have you already learned that's a hard skill, a real example you can speak to around you know, something more technically sound and showing that you're working toward a certain level of expertise? And then when you're more senior, it's really hard to, to convince a hiring manager that someone with 15, 20 years of experience in this one area can seamlessly come over and lead the team of people in a completely different industry, in a completely different space that they've never, ever touched. But the whole like stance of, well, I've been a leader and a leader is a leader is a leader. That's really hard to take that soft skill and, and kind of push that as, um, you know, as the, the golden ticket to a new opportunity when you're a more senior uh, professional. So being able to acquire a mixture of things along the way, maybe even moving around and having different industry experience along the way before you hit the 15, 20 year mark will make you a little bit more marketable, make it easier for you to have those conversations with, uh, with other you know, senior level executives around what you can bring to the table for a leadership role because they're gonna be looking for is some to some extent some level of expertise in an area whether that area is industry specific or like in a certain vertical within the business but you would need to have developed some level of technical expertise at that point yeah so on that on that note something that that i i've given this advice to and i've received this advice um i've stuck with it and i've evolved it is this idea of as you change roles whether it's inside of a company or outside of a company um, having some things that anchor you, right? So, mm. you know, you, you think about within a company, um, you may you may change roles, but you wanna you wanna try to control the amount of things you change at once. So maybe you're going to a different region of the of the country or the world. Maybe you're going to a different team. Maybe you're going into a different function. Maybe you're stepping up in terms of responsibility from an individual contributor, you know, to to a to a leader of people. Um, but like you want to have some things that sort of anchor you so that while you're learning and making that transition, like you can actually contribute and add value on day one. And, and so to your point, what triggered the thought is as you go from one company to another company, in many instances, this idea of anchoring is really important. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, some people might maybe, you know, push against sometimes taking a big step up and you know across when you're changing companies right because you're yeah learning a new organization you have no credibility in that company right dot 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 so thinking about things that anchor you while you make that transition is, is really really important and i just want to get you guys reaction to that as, as something that i think about and i give advice on yeah i agree <laughs> I, I mean just simply that i agree and it's not nothing because here's i say this all the time anybody read the four agreements one of the agreements, it's not about you. A lot of this is nothing personal. But when I look at a resume for a leadership role and someone's telling me they need to switch industries and step into leadership and learn tech and do this, like that's a lot 
for a hiring manager to really buy into and to even even think about the comparison of your profile against others, right? Going back to how it's not necessarily about you, it's about the comparison of of profiles that come in across the board and people are going to naturally gravitate to to someone who has less of a learning curve, right? So we always joke about like pick a struggle, right? You can't you can't choose to say I'm going to be new to everything, but please do give me a chance for this leadership role. Like that that doesn't seem fair um, to you or to anyone involved. And so um, there will probably be that natural pushback. And I wouldn't say that's something to take personal. It's more so like think about it if you were in their shoes as a leader. Um, like where would you want to make that big investment and um, how much risk are you willing to take as a leader on someone who has to step up in, in every capacity, right? Yeah. Um, that could be a challenge for anyone. I think you said you said one of my favorite words, which is risk, right? It's because all of this is being evaluated, not just you as a candidate, but it's you versus the profile for the role you're applying for. Yep. And then you versus all of the other people who are also applying. Like that's the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. Yep. You talked a little bit about making a job change, right? Choosing a different organization, making a big transition. Really, I want to focus on the joining a new organization. There is certainly a traditional kind of old school narrative of job hopping is seen as dot, 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 right? Um, And I think that that's kind of, there's some natural tension happening in the ethos with Gen Z coming up into the workforce and they're still being, you know, baby boomers, Gen X, right? We're, and millennials still very much in the workforce. So for your perspective as a talent acquisition professional, what does job hopping kind of mean? And what's the positive end of it? And what's the thing that people should be mindful of as they're thinking about making a transition as far as how long they've been with the organization and what's the story that they'll have to tell to make it make sense? You said all the key words. What's the story? And how mindful were you and how thoughtful were you with the decision-making, right? So um, I compare job searches and resumes to dating all the time. And so if I sit down with someone and they're telling me they're like a serial dater, right? Like over the last 10 years, you've been in eight relationships. Well, I mean, I have every right to question that. I I have every reason to need to understand why, right? So I think that logically, as soon as someone says that to you, they themselves are hearing themselves say, I've been in eight relationships over the last 10 years. If they don't think to give a kind of get in front of your why, that yeah. just seems like you're not really um, as emotionally intelligent as you might need to be, right? So no matter what's happening in the market of like different generations seeing job hopping different, no matter what, we all have the question of why. Like it it doesn't yeah. matter what generation. I think every single person is going to be like, hmm, tell me a little bit more about that journey. Would yeah, love, that- to, love to understand what made you go down different paths. And, and I think if you're a smart candidate, you would get ahead of it. If you know you've had a lot of job switches, then as you tell your story, glossing over that and pretending as if we don't see it, that is a red flag. But addressing it um, before someone can ask the question would allude to the fact that you made conscious decisions that that were very mindful and you, you thought it out and every move was strategic. And maybe some moves were just failing fast, right? Like, let me go take this leap of faith. Oops, my bad. I went back to an industry that was um, more aligned with what I really wanted, whatever it is, but adding the the context as you go through it, even if you're smart, adding context to your resume could be helpful um, to tell that story so that you can get on the phone with someone so that they'll, you know, hear the rest of the story. 
And that's a great point. And and what I what I hear you saying is, you know, whether it's called job hopping, whether it's just, hey, I've, I've been to many different companies, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's just a question that needs explanation to your point. And so I think I think going into that consciously saying, hey, I'm going to create a story around this that actually makes it a, that actually makes it a competitive advantage for me versus, hey, how do I mitigate this as a concern? I think is even taking it a bit further to say, hey, look, like be proud of the experiences that you have. It's all you have, right? Mm-hmm. So, so don't go in, you know, feeling nervous about. It. Don't go in feeling hesitant about it. Be proud of that experience and create a story that's a compelling story, right? Because that's what you're doing in these interviews. Like right? you're, you're selling yourself, um, you're selling your experiences, and you're actually trying to convince a company that not only is it not a risk to bring you into the organization, but it is an asset. Like you will be an asset yep. organization. They, they actually are going to be able to put you in a team and be able to scale in the way that they intend to scale. So I think even to your point, I, I, lo- I love the conversation because it's like even beyond just looking at it as like a, a strike against you, first of all, take that out of your head and just say my experience is my experience and have the confidence in that and then go create a story that's compelling to other folks. Mm-hmm. It's all about so, the storytelling. So t- talk a little bit more about, I think you've done a good job to say job hopping isn't a problem. There's no data that says uh, the current generation is job hopping any more, right, than previous generations. So I think it, it's something that is very individually driven, right? And as you own your narrative, you can definitely account for it and you can address it. But now I'd like to talk just a little bit more about when you think about making a transition and you're engaging with talent acquisition professionals and you're using your resume, right? Because this is something that I talk to clients about often. What is the role of your resume? I think, and there was a period of time where your resume looked like a list of things that you had done in the past. And what I'm seeing is this shift. Your resume is a marketing tool. It's a tool to tell your story, to help hit the highlights potentially of what your career looks like. So, you know, I'm, I'm leading the witness a little bit there, but what is your perspective on what are the important parts of a resume that you're looking for as a talent acquisition professional? Yeah. So I think that like resumes are kind of like, you know, a cute outfit, right? Like you might need different outfits. So for different occasions, for different settings. Pause before you finish your thought. I, these, these are like real, these are good analogies. I, I appreciate the idea. And, and clearly you, you've like, you've double, double clicked on this dating analogy. So I, I think oh, that's my whole thing. Dating analogies and <laughs> career. It, it, people get it. People get it. Yeah, it's something that resonates with people. But no, I think what the, I had an old quote for this. A resume should be like a skirt long enough to cover the subject, short enough to keep people interested. Um, but also I think you need multiple skirts, right? Like you need cute outfits that you can transition and move around for different occasions. Uh, and I agree, Leah, that it is a marketing tool. It shows people, you know, what you have done, but more so where you've made an impact. Um, I think that making sure you have a fine balance between solid impact statements and then couple, we need some bullet points that just tell me what is your job? Like, yes, you've you've increased workflow this way. You've reduced costs this way. You've done all of that. But like at the end of the day, can I get at least one or two bullet points on what the job is? And And so that's still important. That is still important. Um, I'll tell you one reason why it can be important if you're looking at big companies, because they're going to look at the resume as kind of the legal document to confirm that you meet the basic qualifications. So if you don't at least state that you do certain things, then we can't check the box on like some of the basic qualifications. If you're not saying that you 
been a, a project manager, maybe your title wasn't project manager, but you have no bullet points related to project management, and now you want to be a project manager here. Well, I, you're not even, if one of the minimum qualifications is that, we can't even check that that box from a compliance standpoint, right? So um, at a minimum, making sure you have some, some direct statements that align to the job at hand and then impact statements. And I do think that smart candidates build a little bit of the story and the why in there as much as they can. And, it, and some of it can be read, you can read between the lines, right? Like if you see someone who progressed from working in a small firm and then you see them go to like a big four firm, for example, and then you see them go into an in-house accounting role, like that story just makes sense. I don't need you to tell me why every single time. It just kind of makes sense. But what if I never, I've never heard of this small firm and I don't know the big four and I didn't know that this was considered in-house accounting. So like a statement saying a small regional firm with less than 25 staff, just defining the company. And then the next time you show, you show global firm with 250,000 employees that I can see why you would move. I don't need to ask that question. I can read it um, and put that, I can do the math myself. So if there's ways that you can kind of tell a little bit of that story, especially if you go to a startup, then that that tells a story in and of itself. If you, if, especially if you have a short stint at a startup, I, I'm not going to question that too much because it happens. Sometimes they open their doors and then they close quickly or it's chaotic, right? So some of those things, just giving a little hint of um, of what, you know, what those transitions might've looked like is really helpful. I like what you said then. One of the things that it, it sort of, you know, triggered me for is to go back to sort of the beginning around like understand the job you're applying for, understand the company that you're applying into. I'll say two things. In the past, I've felt like as I was um, interviewing clients, even that interviewing um, candidates, even as they got to, the, to my stage, like through talent acquisition, I'm the hiring manager, sometimes I'm the next person that they're talking to. In the past, it, it seemed like they didn't have as clear of an understanding of the company. Now, some of that might've been, you know, just, you know, um, access to the amount of information that's available today versus in the past, um, things like LinkedIn, right? And, and just being able to find the company, find folks easily. Because now what I would say, especially in early talent, early talent folks, I've been incredibly impressed by how much research they've done on the company coming into it, how thoughtful the questions were. So I say that to say, like one, there's definitely a difference. And in order to do what I think you're saying, Joe, it really is about like, do you understand the role? Do you understand the company? Part of my question is, what advice do you have for folks to actually go understand that? Like, like, is, are there, like, can they reach out to people who aren't related to the job and ask questions about it? Can they, like, what, what advice would you give folks tangibly to go do their research to get to the place where they can position their resume and themselves to be able to yeah. get that, 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 that opportunity? I think people naturally go with like, let's re let me see if I know anyone that works there and let me see if I can get them on the phone. And I'm, I'm always a little bit surprised with how little research is done before they get on the phone with someone who works there. Just when, when people are interviewing, they've done all the research in the world, but when they're poking around to just get to know people and have casual conversations, it can sometimes feel like there hasn't been much research done on, on where you can take that conversation. It's one thing if you know the person personally, because that's, it's different, but when you're reaching out to people that maybe you don't really know personally, but there's like some, you can find a way to send them an in-mail and you're hoping that they'll get on the phone and tell you a little bit more uh, about what they do, right? Um, if you can send that in-mail and they respond, uh, I think being prepared for that conversation 
could involve doing things like, like I said before, read the annual report. These things are broken down in layman's terms for the most part, so that the average person, that is legally, they have to make it so that the average person can kind of read and understand what's happening. There's some basic statements that are put out by um, leadership and CEOs and executives all the time that give you insight on the, the direction of the company. Reading articles, I, I know some of these are, are like things you might be already doing, but reading what's happening in the news, the articles that they put on their site that they want you to look at, but then also the ones that they leave off, don't have highlighted, uh, are good to look at. And then um, you'll be surprised how many of these leaders have like TED talks or some version of it floating around on, um, on YouTube. Um, you'll be surprised how many podcasts they've been on or moments like this where you could catch someone that's in a leadership role on a live. Um, so I would even take it there and, and try to see what are some of the, um, some of the, you know, talks that have been given, some of the speeches, some of the things that you can just listen to um, or podcasts that the company might have. You, a lot of companies have their own podcasts. Um, that's some just some other research that av on average, people are not doing that. Yeah. Most people are not doing that to prepare for conversations or to prepare for um, an interview. And if you start to look at it as more as natural curiosity versus I'm preparing for this, then um, it kind of changes how you approach it, right? Like, I just want to know. I just want to know what Microsoft is doing. I'm just curious. Tech is a thing. I just want to learn. And so as you start to have natural curiosity about industries that you're interested in, um, you'll be you'll be able to kind of develop a better vocabulary around it, have real curiosity questions, right? Like your questions aren't just whatever Google told me to ask. They're genuinely like, I want to understand this. I want to learn this. I am trying to connect dots here. And so um, it will come through in every conversation you have. So wait, all right, we have to, we got to let that breathe. We have to let it breathe. Because Jill just went through and dropped so many gems for how to approach your next search. And I think the thing that really stuck with me, first of all, your skirt analogy is everything, okay? <laughs> but like, <laughs> the long enough to <laughs> the long enough to give the information, but short enough to keep people interested. It is an amazing analogy. It's a little, you know, obviously it's tongue in cheek, but it's fun. It's a good time, yeah. so I'm here for it. Um, and I think, you know, I think it does kind of put us back to thinking about your resume as a tool, and your resume is only a tool that's as good as your research in the job description that was written. Mm -hmm. So, like, people try to treat oftentimes like, okay, I have a resume and I'm going to apply for many jobs. That's not how it works in these days and times, right? Someone put the effort in, hopefully, to writing a high-quality job description. You should then read that job description in detail and check to see if your resume then aligns, right, and matches with that job description. And if not, then there's probably some work that you should go do before you apply, right, to keep yourself in the high contention rate. Um, and we're not even going to get into software yet, Jill. We're not going to talk about, like, artificial intelligence software that is reading resumes before a human ever sees it, because I think that's something else that folks are kind of like, oh, just, just coming to the table with in certain industries. But in other industries, it's like well known that there's a, the human hasn't seen it until a machine has read it and said yes or no. And that's going to be based on the job description. So, but you said something that was so, so super powerful. If you actually navigate these things with a sincere curiosity, like, I just mm -hmm. want to know more. I want to understand the industry. If I'm going to be a part of it, I want to be educated and informed on it because I want to be able to sound like I can have an informed conversation. You talked about the vocabulary. Like, you were just out here dropping all the gems. When people think about it, they're like, hi, my name is, and I'd like a job. Can you help me? What? Like, I, 
where am I supposed to go with that? Where am I supposed mm-hmm. to go? How can I help to guide you or give you any real direction when you're not clear on what you want? You haven't really come to me with a tangible ask. So, you know, I, I am not going to be likely to give you more time, right? I'm not going to be the one crosses their fingers on LinkedIn, right? With the end mail and says, yeah, of course you can have 30 minutes when you have zero context for what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So I really think it's super, 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 super important for people to think about it as this is an investment in your future. Right. Yep. So do research, get the intel, make sure you're building the right um, muscles so that you show up as an asset. And people are like, oh, well, there's not a lot of work I have to do in order to set you up to be successful. You want to create the least amount of work for the person you're asking. Yes. And I've doubled down on that. Create the least amount of work for the person you're asking, because you are not the only person asking, especially if you're going to recruiters. Um, and and I I think something else you mentioned, Leah, is, is look at the job description and make sure that you've actually aligned your resume to it. But keep in mind, there's very few people out here who've ever gotten the job based off the minimum qualifications, right? Like going back to dating, most of us are not out here dating people that are bare minimum. And if we are, we are probably questioning that, right? So let's, let's evaluate, like, yes, the minimum says having a degree, the minimum says five years of experience, you've worked for six, great. The minimum then says, you know, um, need some experience as an attorney or need some, whatever that, like the category of uh, work classification, great. But then the preferred qualification, that's where the gold lies. So to send someone an email or an email saying, I want to talk to you about this role and to say, I have five years of experience as an attorney. That's great. But like, what about all the preferred qualifications that state the type of law that we are focused on for this role that we, you know, maybe need someone that has developed a team, like not addressing the preferred qualifications, I think is one of the big um, areas that people miss out on. Like they always send the in-mail talking about the basics and very, very rarely come in and highlight how they hit on preferred qualifications. What people tend to do is talk about their interest and how passionate they are and then soft skills and all of that. I, I think I'm not trying to devalue any of that, but it, it doesn't really stand out because it's, it's not something I can tie back to what does my hiring manager really need in a, a very tangible, real way? What do they need? And I know a go-getter is what everyone wants, but what do they need? Like they need you to have actually been an attorney in this category um, for at least five years. That's what they need. So please, 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 I encourage anyone listening, always add something that hits on the preferred qualifications. I think that's I think that's a great perspective around um, thinking about the preferred qualifications. And I actually want to drill one more level deeper into that with this idea of, to me, you know, stepping back and making a connection to the company and the hiring manager, like this idea of empathy, like putting yourself mm-hmm. in their shoes, trying to look at it from their lens, trying to look from the company's lens. So everything that I think we're talking about, like if I step back and say, look, You've got this company that generally is, well, it's a for-profit or not, not-for-profit. Like, let's just, like, you could put it in two categories, but the same principles apply. They have some objectives. It's a not, not-for-profit. There's impact and outcomes that they're, that they're trying to drive to, and they and actually get funded and measured on those impacts and outcomes. So for-profit is generally revenue, margin, EBITDA, right? Like, it's going to boil down to that. And then there's the connection from that to the thing that they're hiring somebody to help them achieve. And I think your ability to kind of understand that and, and make that connection to like, what is it that this company is trying to achieve? We talked about this. 
and what's in the description, right? What's in the job description of minimum and to your point preferred, getting your head around that, like understanding why that's important. Because I think anybody that I'm hiring coming into a conversation and being able to, to talk to me about the value of the position <laughs> and how it contributes to our big objectives, like I'm paying attention because I'm like, man, like you're already thinking about my world, right? You're already thinking about what I'm trying to accomplish. Um, I think that that can make a huge difference. And then to your point, even if you don't have all of the, the qualifications there, but you understand it, you understand the value, you're going to naturally find ways to be able to bridge the gap and say, hey, I understand this is important and this is important. I understand why. Here's what I have. And here's the parts that I'm interested in learning. Like I've demonstrated the ability to learn in these ways, right? So now I'm showing this transferable ability to learn in these places while I have these anchoring things that can contribute. So, mm-hmm. so, so I think this idea of stepping back and really understanding and putting yourself, you know, looking at it through the lens of the company, looking at it through the lens of the, the hiring manager, hiring team, it can really create a differentiation. And you'd be surprised how many people just don't make that connection. And I won't even say it's a bad thing. I'm actually saying that's just the norm. So you can actually set yourself apart and be different by going deep into that space. Yeah. I think the other point you brought up around the doing it from the lens of the company, I would carry that over into the interview. I, I think that people coming from certain, especially if they spend a certain amount of time in an industry or at one company, they tend to use a lot of the language of, of home, right? Like the language of what they're familiar with. So sometimes when we're coaching, like when I used to work at an agency, we had veterans or government employees that would be trying to interview for things that are on the civilian side or, you know, just traditional corporate jobs. We would have to make sure that they practice using transferable language, like use the terminology that would be familiar for anybody in business versus using a ton of terminology that is specific to, you know, I've been working as within a government contractor and they start to use a lot of that language. So keeping that in mind and like thinking about how you present your experiences. I think project management is one of those that I use as an example all the time, because a lot of pretty much most people we know in business are managing a project, but not all of them are called project managers, right? And so when they go and interview for a role, they will use terminology to just describe what they do, but then not use the terminology of a PM. Not saying, they won't see, say things like certain milestones, or we ran a sprint, or we um, we had to work through all these, we had to do a lot of uh, interviews and and things to acquire, uh, you know, information around the the goal or whatever. But just using terminology that aligns to the broader world of business or specific to like the type of role that you're trying to step into. Especially when you're, I think project management is the best example where like a recruiter is a PM, but we're called recruiters, right? And strategy professionals are project management project managers in many cases, but they're not necessarily marketing themselves that way at the beginning of the conversation. And then you have to kind of coach people into, you know, using the terms that will be more familiar to the hiring manager. I love that you said language from home. And I love that you said like to, to really normalize it. Cause I think it's an exercise that people have to actually push themselves to go through because you may perceive it as, Oh, I'm ready. Right. I'm capable. It, it's no problem. But without doing this exercise around what language am I going to use? How am I going to describe it? 
you can miss the mark and it just alienates people potentially. Mm -hmm. And it's not your intention, but that's what happens. Or, you know, just like earlier today, you talked about, you know, PM. It's like, okay, that's obviously a project manager, but worth stating, right? It kind of in the scenario. And a lot of times it's an exercise that folks don't take the full step to go through. So I love that you brought that up. And as someone who worked in strategy and wrote earning statements, wrote quarterly reports that CEOs and CFOs had to then go and present, there is a, a treasure trove of information that somebody mm-hmm. really hard to put together. Um, I'll raise my hand as one of the somebody. <laughs> but if you do that extra step, and I'm working with clients you know, pretty consistently who are looking to differentiate themselves because they're constantly in this of the mindset of how am I making sure that I'm stacking up well against the competition? Because there's always competition kind of built into the process. How do you reconcile or make sense of underrepresented employees, so Black, Brown, Latino women, applying for jobs only when they meet 100% of the qualifications, where our counterparts um, who don't have those same demographics are applying when they have maybe 30%, maybe 40%, right? Hitting the YOLO button and like allowing people to tell them no, right? So there is a certain amount of effort that it takes to really draw out those other populations. So what are you seeing kind of in that space? And, you know, how can we potentially help to serve that population and really um, encourage them, right? Because that's really what I feel like is necessary. Just they're undervaluing themselves, but how do you push them um, to the other side? What's your experience there, Joe? Yeah, so I think it ties a a number of things together. Number one, it's like take the risk that there's that, right? So we have to encourage people to take the risk to fail fast because- you might not get a call back, but at least you are continuing to hone in on how you can present your resume, how you can present yourself. I would encourage people to, to keep in mind that the, the folks that shoot their shot and hit the YOLO button a lot, they do it a lot. Like they, they do it very often. And so because they do it so much, that one rejection or the 20 rejections, it's nothing. It's, it's literally nothing. I do this. I interview all the time just for practice. I don't care if I get like an offer or not. I'm not calling all my friends and family like, oh my God, I'm interviewing with so-and-so because that that's, it's not, that's not, I'm not caught up in this individual opportunity, right? I'll throw my resume in the ring for things um, that I, I might have moderate interest in, right? Like I, I might not be all that excited, but I am trying to learn more. And so it's okay to throw your name in the hat, to, to put your resume out there, I think it's it's also it is interesting to see how how a lot of minorities just choose to not even try or to ask a million questions before they try. Um, I had put this uh, out to some of my friends. We had an opportunity open in one of my old jobs that was like a program where you would get developed into a source or a recruiter, and they were taking people that had prior experience in sales and all this. So I send it out to a bunch of people. It was pretty much only minorities specifically minority women who responded with a million questions before they ever sent a resume. And while I encourage questions, I do, I really think that that's important. They were asking the kind of questions that wouldn't change whether or not we get this resume out, right? Like you're going to miss the deadline because you want me to confirm if this job um, is going to pay X amount per hour, or if this is that, or how long is it guaranteed that you get a job at the end? Is this, it's like, dude, let's let's get the resume submitted and then talk to the next person, ask the next question, talk to the next person, ask the next question. Like it's, we get really, really, really caught up in trying to find a way 
to keep our name out of the mix. We talk, we talk, we, I think it's a great point. You can't make a decision when you don't have a choice, right? So like give yourself the choice, like make yourself wanted, go down the path like this, like you want that opportunity until otherwise, but don't talk yourself out of it because you didn't even get, get an opportunity to. And, and when you go into it, even if you do apply with that hesitancy, like that just shows up, like, you know, and it's hard to compete with people who are very committed to an opportunity when you're coming in sort of one foot up, one foot out, because you're skeptical that you even get the opportunity. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're, and I think that there's this fear of, of the letdown of missing an opportunity that really hinders it. And I do think that that has to do with um, certain demographics and certain groups of folks. Yes. Tee up the rejection, tee up more rejection in your life. That's my advice. Go out there and try and try and try, and you will get rejected. That's okay. You yeah. learn from each one of those. You get more comfortable with the process. Um, this is a great example for dating again for men. Go out there, say hello to somebody. Say, hey, my name is so-and-so. It's a pleasure to meet you. You do not know where that will go. You do not know what will happen. If it doesn't, if nothing comes from it, it's okay. You still live to see another day. I think that we have to get way more comfortable with that. We talk ourselves out of so much on a, on a very regular basis. We will convince ourselves that we, we should not or we cannot. Yeah, that's a perfect note to close on. Um, I have some personal passion about believing that rejection is just redirection, right? It's just guiding mm -hmm. you to a new place. But there's some sort of psychology behind it. There's some mindset work that needs to happen for folks. Yep. So I would love to talk to folks that they're looking to make a shift to be able to accept more uh, rejection in their life because job searching, looking for companies as organizations, it, rejection is in, inherently a part of it. So mm -hmm. Jill, you really showed up with the gents today. I got some quotables. We're going to have to do a full recap and like give you credit for all of your one-liners. Mm -hmm. Well done. I love that. Jillian, this has been amazing. We'll be back next week. Meshach and I with another guest um, to talk about HR as a whole and talent management. And we definitely want to make sure that you guys join us for that because that's going to be another amazing gem dropping conversation. So we appreciate you all for listening. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. This was Amma Gordon and Leah Murphy. Thank you so much for listening. We hope this episode gave you some real gems that you can use on your own career journey. Come back for the next episode and be sure to follow us on social at Gems for the Journey on Instagram and Career Gems for the Journey on LinkedIn. You can also email us at info at gemsforthejourney.org with any questions or comments you may have.